Hello, this is Jane. You are listening to the Philotic Ansible, an endless game podcast brought to you by the PhilotticWeb.net and EndlessAnsible.com. On today's episode, our guest is Aaron Johnston, longtime collaborator with Austin Scott Card and co-author of the brand new end of his book coming out this July, Earth Underwear, a novel of the first formic war. And now your host, Gravity Defier. The next set of questions I have for you are going to be moving away from the movie experience and more towards your experience both working with Orson Scott Card and working on um, your own works in the Enderverse. Now, someone, or two someones, rather, um, were commenting and wanted us to ask you, before recently, when Orson Scott Card decided to have a fan fiction contest, he was pretty well known for being anti-fan fiction, or if not outright anti-fan fiction, and he heavily discouraged it. So, how, um, or rather, what was it like not only being able to write an understory, but being trusted with that, since he is so selective, how did that feel knowing that you were able to become part of this world's creation for all of the fans? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, as you can imagine, it was, it was an incredible honor. I mean, I've I've known uh, Scott Card for a long time, and he and I have collaborated on many other things um, before before I was invited to participate within the Ender universe, um, and you know he and I um, we 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 actually met. Um, uh, we both attended the same church in North Carolina, and but we really got to know each other because we realized that uh, um, we both have a love for theater. You know, before before Scott Card was a novelist, he was a playwright. Um, and he soon discovered how difficult it is to make a career as a playwright, even though he was a brilliant playwright. Um, it's very hard to make to make a, a living doing that, and so he became a novelist. My wife and I both uh, come from a theater background. We we met in college in an improv comedy group. Um, I did theater throughout college, even though I didn't study theater. My wife did study it, but. Um, so Scott was actually producing several plays, um, and we participated in those, and that's kind of how he got to know us. Um, he knew I was an aspiring writer, and he kind of threw me a bone, um, you know, many, many years ago uh, and that I uh, completed, and I guess he was pleased with enough to continue throwing me bones. <laughs> uh, I got the opportunity to do some pretty, some pretty um, uh, you know, heavy, heavy lifting writing with him. Um, but you know, do, doing this is is just been a thrill. You know, um, as I said earlier, I, I'm, 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 as long as, as as I've been introduced to to Ender's Game, I've been a fan of the series and of the universe, and it's just it's just uh, been incredible to work with Scott. You know, one of the reasons why Scott is opposed to fan fiction is because, um, well, I think there's several reasons, and, and I shouldn't speak on his behalf. One of the reasons I know is is because he strongly believes that um, that you're that if you're an aspiring you're better served writing your own stories, right? You're better served creating your own universe and your own characters. That that is it's, it's really in that instance 
his reasons is really selfless. I mean, he, he's he's doing it because he honestly believes, and I think I actually think he's he's right. It's in the best interest of the aspiring writer to also be a creator of universes, to to build worlds for himself or herself, than to simply live in a world that you know because. It's, you can't publish that that kind of story unless you have the blessing of the author, which is very rare that you will in, um, from any author. Um, so that's one of the reasons why he doesn't like fan fiction. Also, one of the reasons why he doesn't like fan fiction um, is because Ender, Ender's Game is his bread and butter. And Ender's Game is, and the Ender Universe is, is his intellectual property. Um, you know, and I think any artist is going to be um, protective to some degree of what puts food on the dinner table, you know? Absolutely. It's fantastic that, that, that he's giving this opportunity to fans. Uh, when I heard about it, I was like, oh, I am all over this. <laughs> but yes, to answer your, to, to your initial question, it's been, it's been an incredible honor to, to not only to work in this universe, but to also work with characters that, you know, that he created, like, like for example, Maze Rackham. Um, you know, you have, you know, I, to, to, to be quite honest, I this assignment with a great deal of trepidation. You know, because I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to be I, I'm going to be the guy who ruined Ender's Game. <laughs> I didn't crucified by fans, you know, because I am one of those fans, and I would probably do some of the crucifying myself if someone <laughs> if someone um, you know destroyed what I thought was uh, was was it was a great universe. I take great confidence in knowing, you know, that Scott is very vigilant of what I do, and if there's anything I, that I do that deviates um, from what he thinks is right, he's, he'll 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 let me know, obviously. So, done has his blessing, <laughs> uh, and we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully, fans will find uh, will find it enjoyable. I hope so as well. Um, now, following up on something you said about um, the connection between his. Um, disliking or at least not encouraging the fan fiction was you feel like or you both feel as though it's more it's better for the the prospective writer to try to create their own now kind of going in the other direction since you are writing characters that already exist do you find that it's difficult to slip into their voices and speak as though you were writing the same exact, well, not the same exact books, but the same exact people that appeared in all of these. I mean, how hard is it to really get a feel for these characters? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I, I've, you know, the my the only characters that I've that I've written for put words in their mouth are um, uh, Peter Valentine, uh, Mazer Rackham, and Ender, I suppose. So. <laughs> Peter Valentine and Ender were all in the comics, and, and in the case of in the case of Ender, I was basically I was basically I was adapting, right? So I wasn't necessarily writing a story. I, that's when I was writing, working for Marvel, and I was adapting Ender in Exile and Speaker for the Dead. So, and that I wasn't necessarily telling a different story. I was I was telling a story that existed, but I was writing. In some instances, I did have to write new dialogue because, you know, as I said before, comics are extremely. You have to be very brief. You, you know. It, it, it's it's it, you have to be very economical with your words, and so sometimes a scene in a novel that, that's eleven this long in five panels, right, on a single page. So 
Um, but that's that's a completely different kind of task. In the case of uh, there's there was a comic I wrote um, called uh, The League War, which was um, uh, which was a story that Scott and I developed together. I wrote um, that was that it was of course about uh, Peter and Valentine as Locke and Demosthenes, um, kind of inciting and then quelling the League War, which was the which is the war that that happens. Uh, among the you know several nations immediately after the 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 events of Ender's Game, um, that, that that was uh, putting words in Peter and Valentine's mouth. What's great about Valentine is, are is that they're they're um, they're kind of streams of Ender's personality. <laughs> so nasty, you can't go wrong. And if you passionate. And, and, and you can't go wrong. As long as they, as long as neither of them sound like Neanderthals and they sound somewhat intelligent, no one's going to be angry. And actually, that was that that comic thankfully was well received. But that, the the other character I wrote for Mazer in the novels, I actually write a great deal of Mazer, and um, you know, and that that was a little that was very intimidating, quite honestly, because um, because Mazer, you know, is uh, he doesn't say all that much in, in Ender's Game. You know, he's quite, you know, he, I mean, he does obviously. There's some scenes in which he says quite a great deal, but Mazer um, is kind of, um, you know, Mazer only says what needs to be said. He, he's like Ender in, the, in, in that, and Clint Eastwood in that he's, you know, he only says the words that are necessary, and he doesn't say more than that. Um, but also, he's extremely intelligent. He's extremely uh, strategically minded. Um, He's aware of the people and threats around him. Um, in the first book that's coming out in uh, in July, Earth Unaware, we'll see Mazer, but we won't see much of Mazer. Um, uh, Mazer becomes uh, more of a character in the later novels. Uh, most of the characters that exist in the Formic Wars series, be they comics or the novels, are new characters of my own and Scott's inventions. And so... Um, you know, there was there was no danger there of um, writing for existing characters because they're all new characters, and that's why I think what's, one of the things that's so exciting about the Formic Wars series is that it really is an expansion of the universe in that we're introducing a lot more heroes, you know, um, who come from different backgrounds, different cultures, um, different societies. Um, who all kind of who, who you know their strengths and who all kind of coalesce uh, in this fight against in, in fight against the formics. So in I've been very fortunate in that I've been able to participate. Um, it, it's like fiction. It, well, it is fan fiction, but is the only character in in formic wars that is, that is a pre-existing character. And speaking of Earth and Aware, which you have been for a few minutes, thank you for that. Um, perfect lead into my next question. How long has this project been in the works? Uh, in the works, uh, two and a half years, I think. It's been, it's been in the works for several years. You know, it was first, um, it, it, the, the project began at Marvel Comics. You know, Marvel had been doing a series of comics in, in the universe, Ender's Game, uh, Ender's Shadow, um, you know, Ender in Exile, Speaker for the Dead. Um, and fans were very responsive. You know, fans were very complimentary of the series because um, uh, Marvel was doing a great job of the series. Um, and so Scott proposed to Marvel that they do um, uh, an original story in the Enderverse, you know, that we have all this rich back for Ender's game, 
why don't we mine that backstory and tell, and tell some of those specific uh, hero stories? And, uh, and Marvel kind of really sparked the idea. But we always knew early from the from early on that um, it couldn't only exist as comics, you know, because of the limitations um, that, you know, that, that exist in that medium. Um, we knew that we, we, we would have to, we'd have to do novels as well in, in order to give, you know, the, the breadth of experience that we wanted to, because as, as, we, as, we, as we began to develop the story, we realized, goodness, this is kind of epic in scope. This will, you, you know, you, this is hard to fit in five issues of a comic book, uh, and so there were a lot of characters that were developed early on that we knew wouldn't fit into the comics, um, that we knew would have to the in, in, in the um, in the novels, and so and so yeah, I maintained a story bible that my goodness is probably seventy eighty thousand words, you know, that just just kind. Of, all of the who the characters are and, and what their uh, what the world is, um, um, what the science is, the technology that they interact with, um, the, the the economies that they operate in. Uh, um, they were, it's it's been in the works for for a long time. <laughs> now, if this, and we're hoping that it is, if the Earth and Aware trilogy is successful, is there any chance that we'll ever have a companion for that series where you pull from this uh, Bible of yours that is 70,000 words long well you know I mean what's great about what's great about you know the the Star Wars universe has been very successful about this um, and that you know here's the universe here's the rules of the universe um, and within that universe there are an infinite number of stories because there are an infinite number of people and characters who have the the Earth unaware or the the first Formic War trilogy that um, is is really the story of the first Formic War. You know, when Ender defeats the Formics, that's the third Formic War. So there are two previous wars. You know, may, we know from Ender's Game that Mazarakum won the second war, right? When mm-hmm. he destroyed when he destroyed the Hive Queen in space um, with with his single you know rocket that he fired or missile, whatever it was. Um, that the this this trilogy of novels that we're telling right now, beginning with Earth One Aware, is solely the story of the first form of war. So, if are successful, and if there is a market for additional books, um, and if we can persuade the publisher, then, then we, would like, we would like you know the story of the second form of war. We would like to continue to tell Mazarak, and I'm really really excited about a lot of the characters we've developed. Who will continue on to through the second uh, former war and who have an impact on Mazarakum? Is there anything that you can tell us about the second and third installments of the trilogy, or is that pretty tightly under wraps at this point? Uh, well, uh, I can't. Let's see. Uh, I can tell you that we've turned in the manuscript for the second book since and since I haven't heard back since we haven't heard back from the publisher. <laughs> I should stay pretty tight lipped, though. I can say this. Extremely excited about where the story is going, and I know Scott is as well. Um, it's, um, you know, what's great about this series is it's war. I mean, it is, um, it is, uh, it's war. It's the Formics. Um, you know, we know a great deal about the Formics. These are people who don't know how the Formics communicate, who they are, intentions are, why 
thing, what motivates them, how many of them are. Um, you know, so what's what I think is fascinating about this this series is that leadership no a heck more than the characters in the story. You know, we know what a hive queen is. Um, we know how she communicates with her minions. You know. Mm-hmm. These people don't. They don't know um, anything. Um, and what's fascinating also about it is is that um, we're in a world where we have yet to make contact with alien life. Um, and you know, and, and, and this is and this is not a new idea. You know, there are plenty of there are plenty of first contact stories out there. Um, but um, we like this has a new spin on it and. Uh, and, you know, just uh, a world of characters that hopefully people can become engaged with and fall in love with. Um, if you follow the, you know, if you follow the comics, my story won't be, uh, won't be new to you. But there is, there is a, a world of story in the novels that don't exist in the comics. And I think people who have read the comics, uh, will be pleasantly surprised when, when they, or at least I hope so, when they, when they read the novels. Well, we are happy to hear what we heard, so we will forgive you for not being able to say much. Though that just means that we'll have to talk to you again right before the next book comes out. But yeah, I think there is something really exciting about witnessing a civilization that is basically us in the future discovering something that we, us presently, know all about. So that should be a really interesting uh thing to see play out. So um, you did mostly answer this question, but just to clarify, um, if we've read the comics, then it's going to follow very, very closely along with what the book turns out to be. Yes, and, and, and this is how this is how Scott and I kind of decided on it, because, and this is true, actually. The aren't based on the comics. The, the comics are actually based on the novels, <laughs> But the comics were released before the novels, um, simply because that's how the publishing world in those two mediums work. You know, we developed we developed a story that first expressed itself in comics, um, but really the novels are the canon. So there are some slight differences. There are a few differences, um, and again, that it, it, differences that that exist in the comic are much like the differences that have to be made when a, a book is adapted to a film. You know, just for, for the for the for the limitations that that are in, in comics, you have to be like I've said a million times. It's to be very comical. You can't be you can't be as character driven. You can't get into the mind of the character as easily. Um, and so I'm hoping that whether you whether you follow the comics or not, it, it'll be an enjoyable experience. But yet, if you read the comics, you will get a sense of the thread, the narrative thread. Now you mentioned some of the differences between writing a novel and a comic was that you have to be more concise and you have to be more picky about what makes it into the comics and what um, you would actually see in a novel. So do you enjoy writing one format over the other? Um, Why might you enjoy one over the other if you do? And if not, why do you enjoy both equally? That's a great question. This is is why I love comics. um, Comics are great because... It's far more collaborative. Comics are, you know, making comics is a lot like filmmaking, I think, um, in which you really are a contributor to to the canvas, right? And, and everybody is participating and putting in their talents. 
you know, we were we were we were very fortunate to have some just immensely talented artists uh, and editors of the comics. And I, you know, I love writing, and then you know, a week or so later, seeing you know, box and being able to see it brought to life uh, in art, in just vivid, beautiful art. Um, is a which is a much uh, it's a much more fascinating medium, um, and, and you really get to kind of see the fruits of your efforts uh, a, a lot quicker. Um, plus, I just like working with people. You know, I like writing the coattails of other people's talent. <laughs> <laughs> make us look really good. Make us look great. Um, uh, I love novel writing as well. Um, and the, and you know the, what's great about novel writing is. Um, you're in total control, right? You're responsible for everything. So there, there's, there's something that, that's much, there's, there's something very liberating about writing a novel in that you determine how long the scenes last, you determine how long the chapters last, um, and um, in, in, fi- in filmmaking, you're, you're limited. It's, it's becoming increasingly um, easier to do kind of anything in filmmaking because of technology, but. Um, in comics and, and and novels, you've always been able to do whatever you can imagine, and so um, you know that's what I love about uh, both of those mediums is, is that um, that you're really limitless. In in in, in uh, the only constraints are the ones you pose on yourself, right? Absolutely. Well, thank you for answering that question. Now, um, I have been told that you and Orson Scott Card um, by Jack or Jack Black let us know that you and Orson Scott Card um, worked on constructing a timeline for the Enders game series um, what was that process like when we began this when we began the former course project we had to do a little bit of um, we had to do a lot of research uh, we had to uh, one of the things we researched was was the timeline Um you know, when, when, when Scott Card wrote Ender's Game, obviously he had no intention of writing um, the backstory to Ender's Game. Um, he had no in- intention of writing the first Formic Wars, um, or if he, and if he did, he would have written those. <laughs> so, um, but we had to, we knew that, um, we knew that Mesa Rackham needed to be an integral part of this story, um, and yet, we also knew that we couldn't contradict the existing canon. Um, so we had, to, we had to we had to figure out okay. So how old was Mazer when he met Ender? How old was he when he, um, you know, there's the story. I don't know if you're familiar with the short story Mazer in Prison, but mm-hmm. a lot of uh, events in his life that happened in that story. You know, his family and his wife and his children. Um, we we and it, so we really had to sit down and create a timeline um, that not fit within the existing Ender universe in Formic Wars, but that also made logical sense. Um, uh, and so it was tricky. Um, we 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 began timeline with um, let's see when did we when did we begin town? We ended the time with um, when Mazer meets Ender, I think. Um, and we, we, we had to be back from the beginning uh, long before Razor was even born. 
Um, so we decided, you know, when Batman was created, when John Paul uh, Wigan, um, Inder's father, when he was recruited, um, the, and the reason we did all this primarily was because um, we needed to decide how to rack him in the Formic Wars, you know. Uh, in the first Formic War, um, how old is he? And we know how, we kind of, we, and how old is he at the end of the second Formic War? That's not explicit in the novel. Um, and it's not even really, his age has never been, we, we, I, you know, we kind of picture him as this white-haired old but we never really, we never really cemented or, uh, how old he was. Those are things we had to decide. Um, um, and uh, it was fascinating, you know, because Maze Rackman is one of my favorite characters. And so, yes, yeah, so we created this timeline. We also did kinds of research. Uh, got a, we got a, a, a software program that would tell us the position of celestial objects um, in our solar system um, in the future. So, you know, based on, you know, for example, based on the current rotation and movement of asteroids, there's software out there that can tell you exactly where asteroids will be 200 years from now, right? <clears throat> the asteroids in the asteroid field. And, and this was critical information because we knew when our story needed to take place and we knew where certain characters needed to be at certain times uh, and if they're going to be if they're going to be by a specific asteroid, if they're going to be mining an asteroid, we would like it to be um, feasible. We would like it to be um, you know uh, pop that they're at this asteroid at this certain time, mining it to 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 coincide with our story. So not only do we try to do we try to make it exist with the current Ender's universe, but we also try to make it exist with our you know, uh, the universe that we live in, the real universe. Um, and, you know, that's not something necessarily that people are going to, they're going to notice in the books. Um, but it was important to us. It was, it was important to us that we make this as real as possible. And was it something that needed to be spoken aloud or was it just something that everyone kind of knew coming into it that you wanted to have that degree of accuracy as far as, for instance, the placement of the asteroids in the solar system? Oh, yeah. It was, it was, it was, a, it was an overt decision that we made. I mean, it was, you know, we, we were very explicit to each other about how, how we wanted this to work. Because there was some, you know, I mean, we had to decide, you know, there's a ship, this, I don't think I'm giving anything away here, but, you know, the four Coming to Earth, right? Mm -hmm. There's a coming in our solar system that's coming to Earth. We needed, we had to figure out, you know, what is the path through the solar system? Where is it going? How fast? And and based on its velocity, how long does it take to get to Earth? You know, how many months and weeks have to pass? And what happens months and weeks? So really, all of these decisions really were critical because they drove the story. You know, I mean, they. They, we didn't just do them because we thought it would be cool. We did it because we knew that it would greatly influence the 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 structure of the story. Um, and so, yeah, it was, a critical, it was a critical step that we had to make at the outset. I mean, I made this diet that has, you know, seven different colors, and it, it's like this complex... I'm, I'm actually very proud of this diagram, <laughs> but make this, 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 you know, first that there was this timeline just in words, but then I created this diagram that looks like, you know, it looks like something that a fan would create after reading all the books, but we, it really kind of drove um, 
drove the story because it helped us it helped us recognize where people needed to be, where action was taking place, so that it, that it all made sense, that it was all logical and feasible. Now, this timeline and this visual that you created was yeah. this just things that you specifically needed to write the Earth unaware? Was it all of the Enderverse um, time placements that you could think of? Because there have been contradictions in the Enderverse, and I know that Orson Scott Card has tried and even gone so far as to ask fans to help him find these things. Yes. So, um, did you find many contradictions, or were you primarily focused on a few characters, and so those contradictions didn't come up? Yeah, contradictions did come up. Yeah, a few. Um, I can't recall what they were. There was one. There was one. Um, and what's tricky is, you know, you'll have a, you'll have, I think Bean in one of the care, in one of the, in one of the Bean books made, make some offhand reference to a war or something, right? <laughs> um, and, and so I don't even remember what, what, what the, what the, what the contradiction was, but we decided, Scott rather decided, you know what? We're just going to remove that from subsequent publications of the book. This is what, this is what the canon is. Um, so, you know, is, is it without error? No. You know, like some of that is just, some of that's human error, but some of that's conscious decisions. Um, and, um, you know, some of the fans will notice, they may notice a contradiction or anything. And if they do, bless because they're buying the product and they're engaging themselves in the universe. So I all readers to find as many, as many contradictions as they can and then send them to me. I would be thrilled. <laughs> I think we can take you up on that challenge. Uh, my last question related to that, and not to put you on the spot, um, you can absolutely say no. We were wondering if it'd be possible to get a look at any of these timelines that were created. Um, we'd be really thrilled to have a look at that. And like I said, no pressure. Not sure. Probably I, now, I, of course, you know this. This is Scott's intellectual properties, um, so I would have to get his permission. But, but I, there, there are two. There's the di diagram that I did is mostly the story of the Formic Wars, so I can't give that to you because that, um, you know, everything that happened in this book and subsequent books, and I don't want to. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. But um, but the the uh, the Mazer Rackham story or the Mazer Rackham timeline that's in the existing universe that can share with you and um, um, that actually may even be on the web somewhere already but uh, you know what I, I will probably get you a copy awesome thank you so much now not to keep you for too much longer the last question that I have for you um, later this year the book Ender's World is going to be released and yeah. in that is a collection of essays from various people uh, did you submit an essay to that? And if so, can you tell us a bit what that was about? I did, yes. I did submit an essay. Um, and my essay was, um, you know, I wanted to do an essay about um, Ender primarily as a as a classic mythical hero. You know, even though he is a child, he, he fits so many archetypes, um, you know, that, that it kind of... Uh, that we find in the mythic story structure. Um, you know, one thing that Scott said to me um, that I overheard him say once that really kind of stuck to, stuck with me was that um, that, uh, that that Ender is um, is a little Clint Eastwood. Um, 
and um, and 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 I kind of ran with that statement in my essay, and kind and I kind of talk about how how Ender is a hero and how he fits um, in kind of the um, you know the Campbellian mythic structure. Um, I'm hoping um, I enjoyed writing. And what's and I found some interesting things actually as I as I studied um, mythic story structure for the essay, more similarities than I thought they were. Um, so uh, hopefully 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 readers will enjoy the essay. Well, we will certainly be reading that as well at both Philatelic Club and Under Danceable. So we'll have to send you our reviews just so you can see what we think. But. I absolutely think people enjoy that. It sounds really interesting, and um, I know a few PhD candidates who are doing similar things, not necessarily with Ender, but I think there are plenty of Ender fans who can appreciate that sort of look at the universe. So with that said, I want to thank you for joining us today. It was a really enlightening uh, conversation and really fun for us to, to speak with you. So thank you so much. It's been a thrill. I'm delighted. And for all of you listening, I want to thank you for tuning in. Again, we spoke with Aaron Johnston today. Be sure to pick up a copy of Earth Unaware coming out. Aaron, would you like to tell them the release date? Yes, July 17th. July 17th. Okay, folks. So if you can't afford to buy it, at least check it out from your library so that you can read it and convince yourself to buy it as soon as you can. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. See you next time. Remember, the enemy's gate is down.